Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Because Money podcast. I'm Jackson Middleton, joined by Rob Engen and Sandy Martin in black and white. And thanks for being here. If you want to join the conversation, you want to talk with us, if you if anything we're saying is uh, of interest to you and you want to throw your voice or opinion in the in the circle there, in the ring here, as, as it were, ooh, my phone's still on, uh, do that. Tweet us. Sandy just retweeted me, so we know that Twitter is working. I will be social moderating, and, and Rob's going to carry the conversation. Today is officially episode six. Uh, what is it? Return of the Small Business Owner? Is that the way? Is that the, the right Star Wars reference, Sandy, with your Darth yeah. Vader helmet? Return of the Small Business Owner. Talking about small business finance. And Rob, uh, off to you, bud. Thanks, Jackson. This is the last uh, Star Wars episode. Is that right, Sandy? Yes, until Disney <laughs> comes out with the newest ones. Okay. Go, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're talking about small businesses, and uh, and our, our, we were hoping to touch on it a little bit last week, but uh, I think it's going to make an episode of, of on its own. And uh, what or what got us into this was uh, an article on was it Hull Financial Planning, mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, about bootstrapping your small business and how you shouldn't be doing this with a credit card, you know, paying 18, 20 percent interest on your small business, and why people do get into um, you know, credit card debt, trying to finance their small business. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think a lot of people, or he quoted in the article that, you know, 31% of small businesses fail, you know, really early on. And, and so, you know, you imagine a lot of people can get into some trouble if they're financing this, um, you know, supposedly what they think are good ideas on high interest credit. And, uh, you know, they end up bleeding cash flow, um, and then they're left up or left with a pile of debt. So, so we're talking about kind of all the mistakes you can make as a small business owner and, and how to avoid some of those pitfalls. And uh, thought I'd uh, start with Sandy. You shared that article. Um, you know, what are some of the? Well, let's start with the high interest debt or the credit card debt. Is it a good idea to finance your small business uh, on? Uh oh. Uh, oh, I'm not muted. There I am. Sorry. Um, why don't, there we are. Uh, the way that I approach small business planning is always how much money do you actually have, not including credit cards. And then that kind of restrains you in a way that I think small business isn't often restrained for some reason. That you know, you have to actually use real finite money to make your plans. And then if your plans include like you need to purchase equipment or you know, there's. I guess there are some situations where you should be looking to use leverage to finance your great idea or whatever, but I think one of the benefits of trying to use leverage is that you have to run your idea past somebody else, and then the drawback is all the somebody else's still want to lend you the money anyway. For some reason, it's not that hard to get small business financing. So you, So the corollary is, to go back full circle, you shouldn't have to take it out on your credit card. If it's a really good idea, you shouldn't be using your credit card anyway to do and, it. And what so. kind of interest loan uh, would you be getting from a bank or traditional, oh, or traditional lender? Yeah, they're pretty high. When you're first starting out, like within the first two years of your business, you probably won't see too much in the way of money except for a credit card or a line of credit that you secure to your own home, which typically isn't a great idea. Um, 
or you can get credit. You can get um, uh, like a line of credit just in your own name. Almost everything. I mean, for most sole proprietors starting their own business, it's not like it's the business borrowing money anyway, right? It's unless you're a corporation, it's right. going to be your own name. So it's going to be higher interest because now you don't have a job. You're self-employed. You don't have two years of personal income that you can use to prove that you've earned income. So if you get something that's unsecured, it's going to be relatively high interest anyway, even if it's through a government program. And the trouble is usually, uh, depending on the business obviously, but usually you need uh, you know, substantial capital early on. So financing that with a credit card that you need to start making payments on right away uh, could get you in a lot of trouble right away. Is that right? Well, it makes you desperate for business or clients or sales or whatever it is. And everybody should be hungry, obviously, for those things. But if you are, if kind of your first month you have to make enough to cover your enormous loan payment or your enormous credit card payment, then you're, I don't think you're in a position to build your business in the, in the healthiest way possible to, to target the people that you really want to target, whoever they may be. Right. Um, I think I think that you're you're already you know one month in in the cycle of gotta get the new, kind of gotta get the next client gotta get the next sale when you should be at that point you should have built yourself when we talk about emergency funds and personal finance all the time you need to build yourself some capital before you run out and start your own business. There's a there's an online entrepreneur who wrote a guest post on my site a while ago uh, and he's got he runs his own site called My Wife Quit Her Job. And basically, had his wife was a six-figure earner. Uh, I think they live in California, and um, she quit her job to start her own, like an online store selling uh, like uh, wedding linens and things like that. So uh, kind of a maybe a bizarre niche, but something they found maybe was really profitable that they could turn around. But I think they did a lot of research on it, uh, and the post I thought made a lot of sense because he talked about uh, well, first of all, kind of get getting started. Uh, well, don't quit your job right away. Kind of do all your due diligence. Kind of get get started. Get your feet wet before you actually jump in with both feet. And to have that emergency savings, or um, you know, saving at least you know a year's salary or something like that, so that you can get in there. And what he was arguing was there's a lot of entrepreneurs who preach the you know cut all ties with your employment and and make yourself hungry for that business right away. Um, I don't know, Jackson. What do you think about uh, what do you think about that approach where well, you kind of I've, hold your feet to the fire? Yeah, I've heard that. It's um, actually that was in one of uh, I think it was thirty three essential strategies of leadership or some crazy book that I was reading. And it's it's the called the burn the ship strategy. So if you're an entrepreneur and you've just sailed across the ocean and you're looking to take over the land, it business metaphor you this is your only the only way that you'll be committed is if you burn all your ships and for me that's kind of uh that's always resonated because I'm a burn the ships kind of guy um I don't know that that was the best yeah. advice for me um this is a real this this conversation is very close to me I'm a serial entrepreneur I mean in grade 12 I took an entrepreneurship class they brought in a, it was like a joint project with a junior achiever guy from a bank and uh, I did a 60 page business plan on where to start a coffee shop and this was in high school I got hundred percent in the class and actually found some money my mom and I started a, a coffee shop in Regina when I was 17 so here I am a coffee shop owner at 17 and 
we made two big mistakes. We borrowed the money for the startup. We borrowed, we ended up securing $30,000 in loans, which had a payment on it that we had to start making right out of the gate. And we also, this is the other mistake we made. We signed a lease where the first year was a reduced lease payment. And then the, in the second year, the rent, the our lease pretty much almost doubled, which we just kind of took that offset for the first year. Um, a year is not enough to build a business, and I mean our coffee shop, unfortunately, it failed. Uh, market conditions. We had a movie theater across the street when we started, and that's why I thought this was a great location. And within one year, how about this? Within one year, we had maxed out our line of credit. Our the movie theater was torn down. They built a Robin's Donuts and Burger King across the street, and our lease doubled. That was just kind of like, wow, welcome, as a 17-year-old, as 18-year-old kid, welcome to the introduction to small business. But I learned a ton, and you wow. think I would have learned from that and said, you know, I, I get this, and yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to borrow money, but I, as an entrepreneur... I've always just assumed it's only been in the last couple of years and honestly more recently since I've started looking at starting a social media business that I've said I should really have the money in the bank for this. I don't want to borrow this and if I don't have the skills and I need to pay somebody else to do stuff, I either need to develop the skills or have the money up front. I am no longer going into debt to build a business. And right. yeah, so I mean, when I read this bootstrapping your start off on a credit card, I'm like, well, why not? And then you go through and it's like, yeah, well, it's never been easier to start a business. It's also never been easier to fail at a business. The interesting part of your analogy about burn the ship is that uh, I think the captains would do that so their crew didn't mutiny and sail <laughs> home without him. And uh, so at least you're doing it to yourself and not uh, they're half your town. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, well, that's uh, you know, it's a it's a good point you bring up about um, uh, well, like uh, especially on the credit card and thinking, oh, why not? And is it a question of like either I want to like Sandy had said I want to get it started and I don't really want to have to answer to anyone or run it by anyone, so I'll just kind of go ahead and do it on my own, or is it a question of like bad math thinking I can grow my business at a faster rate than? you know, 19, 20% credit card interest. It's a matter of no math. I'm sorry, but your typical entrepreneur is a quick start, is somebody who's just going to go out of the gate, go, I've got an idea, I'm going to take over the world, I don't care about the administration, everything is a write-off, I I don't want to pay taxes, and you just end up in this world where you believe that what, in what you're doing, and questioning it, looking at the numbers, think it, thinking things critically is an admission to failure. It's like saying, I don't believe in myself. That's what I've been caught up in. There's no realistic thought with most entrepreneurs. They're not even close to being in reality. And I can say that very confidently because that is me. That is my default MO right now. If I go to start a business, all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, do I have any rich uncles that I can tap? Seriously, that's what that's the way an entrepreneur thinks. We're like addicts. <laughs> well, Sandy, how how uh, long did you ponder or consider uh, starting your starting up your own business, or was it a one 
one day you were fed up and decided to start it. Uh, <laughs> um, well, my own business, it took me two years because I'm not, I'm not a risk taker. I don't like the idea of doing something like this on my own. Is oh no, nah, no, it takes a lot of thinking through. <laughs> but my husband had, um, my husband had started his own business back in 2009, and that was. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but that was like a he came home one day and I told him today's the day you're starting your business and we went on from there. I think it was helpful, obviously, that I was working in banking. Uh, bye, Rob. Um, it was helpful that I was working in banking at the time because I already had um, a lot of the understanding of what was happening with banking, so or with the small business side, um, and I had seen a lot of people, a lot of in my area, it's people. Um, starting construction companies, and that's what right. my husband started. Um, and I see them come in, and I was witnessing their account in implosions firsthand, so I kind of was already a little bit leery of that side of things anyway. But, no, for this business, it was it was two years of waiting because I wanted to be able to not be desperate. Right. So I don't think – I think that it went well so far. I'm currently launching a social media business in January of 2014, and I've been thinking about doing it for two years. This is the first time I've ever actually waited on something, and the truth is I didn't have the money to pay somebody for a website. So I got frustrated, I got mad, and I said, I'm going to learn how to build a website. So I spent three weeks trying to learn how to code and kind of figured out WordPress a little bit. But, I mean... It was really hard. The, the The standard default is just borrow. Now, if we go to Twitter, Noel is jumping in, and he goes, from a psych perspective, does having a high interest debt make you hungrier for business, behavioral versus optimization? Then he says, sometimes I wonder if being a little naive and reckless is a requirement for being an entrepreneur. Don't know that it's a requirement, but it's certainly a common personality trait. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I um sorry, go ahead, Rob. Well, I was just going to say I think, you know, maybe uh maybe the maybe the field is divided, uh, you know, half half the entrepreneurs are are let's, you know, hold your feet to the fire and 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 jump in uh right away and be reckless and the others are, you know, contemplating it for years and and maybe some maybe that's why some businesses don't get started is because you wait too long. Um, so I think you do need a little bit of that, uh, you know, that uh, ability to, you know, take the, assess the risk, but but to be able to actually jump in and do it, um, you know. But there's a, there's also a lot of businesses that uh, don't require a ton. Uh, they're more time intensive than uh, than require a lot of capital up front. And you know, I mean, we I I have a small business, which is you know basically our online business, our blog, and uh, you know we could we basically started it for a hundred dollars you know you pay the cost of hosting and a, and a website theme or whatever and you could do it for a hundred bucks and then you know we probably didn't even spend any money you know upgrading certain things until we'd been doing it for a year so you know we really took our time with it but it did take that initial leap of faith to even hit publish on the first article and you know which is scary in itself um, you know so you do I guess you do need to most entrepreneurs maybe do need that uh, bit of reckless crazy side I think so, and I think it's the um, I think it's very easy 
to be the analyzer and the non-risk taker and then never never grow or never see opportunities. Like I think you need to have either somebody in your ear that's saying, oh, you should totally pay for somebody to build a new website for you because yours is ugly and looks free. Because even though you don't do it right away, um, yours meaning mine, I'm not trying to insult you. <laughs> oh, it's feeding the goats sure, sure. all over again. Um, but, I mean, I need people in my ear to tell me that because I am very clearly the opposite side of the spectrum from Jackson. I don't take risks and I don't move into new territory unless somebody pushes me into that new territory. So, I find it funny that the word serial is applied to entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, kind of like it's a, a badge of honor. You know, I'm a serial employee. Nobody says that, you know, but it's it's kind of like implying that as an entrepreneur, yeah, you have to have that recklessness. You kind of have to have that expectation of failure. And, you know, honestly, yeah, I... I wear it kind of as a badge of honor, although it's kind of one of those things that you just go, mm, not sure. But I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've, I'm actually working for the first full year this last year, 2013, was the first year I've ever had a boss and had a salary. I've always made my own way from coffee shop to uh, record label to, I mean, delivery business, property development, mortgage brokerage. I mean, I've always just done small business. And... Honestly, and this is, I think, where the conversation is going, is uh, your books. I mean, your books are one of the most important things you have in your small business, and I believe that, that has been my biggest failure is because my personal spending and my business spending is kind of like, oh, I'll just take from the business. Oh, and then you just start using the business credit card for personal purchases, and it then your accountant goes, what are you doing? And it's like, what? It's all the same money. And then you start writing things off. And it just, the thing is, is what do you do? You start working harder and longer because you have to make more money because you don't have any money at the end of the day because you just continue to spiral. So you end up working 16 hours a day, six days a week to just live the lifestyle that you want to live, basically just trying to keep up with your debt for your business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, when I went into, I got, I got an accountant to start kind of when we started up our small business just to walk us through how things were going. And then he said, well, you know, the most tax, uh, it's uh, to your advantage to leave your money in the business because I'm talking about, oh, okay, am I going to, you know, take out, uh, how do you withdraw the cash? Do you do it through dividends or whatever, right? And he says, well, you know, it's actually the most tax advantage for you is to leave the money in the business and it gets taxed at whatever. I said, well, what, what fun is that? <laughs> You know, so I think a lot of people have that mindset, right? Where, okay, well, I have money in a business account, and you know, how do I get at it? And so, yeah. how 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 should you be dividing those lines, Sandy? Well, at the beginning, it's hard to divide those lines because sometimes there's no money to divide between personal and business. Like some people are starting their business because they need right. to pay the mortgage, right? Um, so in that instance, and that's why. Now I'll not get into corporate and sole proprietor. Anyways. Um, that once you are established or once you're at a point where you can kind of count on the type of income that's coming in, you I hate to go back to budgeting and like push that button, but you need to have a very good sense of the smallest amount of money that you can take out of that business and try and live on that. And then and then leave money in the business until you feel until you kind of reach the next milestone, you know? But business money, I find that it's always sort of this made up unicorn money where it's like well whatever and I don't Jackson it's not just you 
I'm telling my husband. Money. Uni- I'm, I'm, <laughs> so it's unicorn money. Because unicorn money. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> or it's a write-off. I mean, you mentioned that. No, it's you're not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, and I found, I mean, it's a temptation myself. Like, oh, I I should probably buy a new printer for the business, but it doesn't need a printer. I don't print anything. It's all online. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to hang my head in shame. I actually went and restarted my internet connection downstairs, and the only thing that my $2,000 printer does is hold my modem. That's <laughs> it. It, does, it ran out of two, ink. $2,000 yeah, two, printer, wow. I got a $2,000 printer because, I mean, hey, it's only monthly payments for the next 18 years at $100 a month. So I financed that puppy like years ago. No idea what it the the print cartridge is four hundred dollars. But oh. man, that that puppy was a write off. That was a, I don't worry about it. It's a write off. It's a lease payment. So that's even a better write off. So frustrating. But hey, that's paid off in April of this year, and then I can sell that on eBay for like a hundred dollars. There you go. I'm done ranting. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, uh, I, th- I think a lot of people blur the lines between their, uh, obviously between their personal and small business. It's not, uh, it, it's not just you, Jackson. Um, you know, and, and, and I think kind of Sandy alluded to that. It's, it's because, you know, especially right off the get-go, there's no, there is, there is no, you know, uh, a big pot in one, unicorn money in one, and, and then your personal finances or whatever in the other. You need, you need that money. You're starting it out of, maybe out of necessity or, uh, you've got some bigger plans to, uh, you know, use that money, and so of course you think it's yours right away and and uh, go after it. So um, one one of the things that kind of uh, snuck up on me was the taxes too, right? So uh, we went through a full year of taxes, or of, uh, so I owed taxes a- a- afterwards after the first year, and then they want you to pay the installments afterwards, right? <laughs> and now you estimate it, you do your quarterly installments, so. I think a lot of people run into trouble there, where now you're actually budgeting your taxes because the government wants it ahead of time. Uh, that was the craziest thing I ever had to experience. That was just kind of like, and now we're... Com- yeah, it was like, we need $8,000 a quarter. What? How, why? I've never paid that before. And then you start phoning them up and you're telling them they're wrong. And it's like, no, we're the government. We're not wrong. It, yeah, that's a whole different uh, planning. Let's Let's just talk a bit about maybe... Planning and yeah, those kind of things. Because I'm done talking. Uh, planning. Uh, what, well, you know what? Actually, one of the things that I always used to do. This goes back <laughs> well, to banking now. Sorry. You about your budget. <laughs> I'm sorry. You go ahead. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was just going to say, like the on the budgeting side of things, it's um, you know it go, kind of goes back to uh, knowing your line items, right? And especially after so after a year, I knew I paid X in taxes, and uh, so now they want that in quarterly installments. So I actually kind of knew I have a spreadsheet or whatever course I do for for a year, and uh, kind of I can I can project out you know what the expenses are going to be, and I just kind of you know I know I was going to either have a big tax bill at the end of the year or I could do it in quarterly installments. So now it's kind of better on a go forward, but uh, certainly. Not a surprise, but kind of catches you off guard a bit uh, for that first year. That's what you need that extra tax account for. 
that one where you, you know you have your operating so you go out you register your business or you incorporate or whatever and you open up your corporate bank account or your small business bank account but you also need to open up the savings account too underneath that however you do it whether it's free or not if we want to talk about bank fees but you need to have that other account where it's that money is going I mean I'm taking I'm shaving whatever you think your rate is going to be I used to put 20% in so you put 20% in I've got it in there and then you know at the end of the year when you when you when you've been an employee or a lifer if you want to call it that and then you and then you get a refund at the end of the year and you think you're you know is everything is wonderful and I have a refund I'm just kind of setting aside a refund for myself if I don't need to pay that much that's fine and obviously then people would look at it and say I'm eating into the amount of capital that I have to expand the business if I if I overestimate right but um, right. to me it's the only way that I can think of to make sure I've got money set aside and don't magically think of it as unicorn money and I'll be I'll be honest from the uh, from the mortgage broker side from my you know spending seven years as a mortgage broker and dealing with I I would say easily thirty to forty clients who are business for self doing refinances to pay their taxes now mm -hmm. unfortunately uh, you actually have to prove that you have no taxes owing to CRA as a business for self individual but countless times you, you just know that the money has been borrowed on a line of credit or the money has been borrowed from a family member to pay off CRA and the refinance is being executed to pay off taxes so I know that I'm not alone in this but it certainly kinda you kinda gotta wonder if if a lot of businesses do fail just because of lack of poor financial management and I certainly I know that I've failed in business because of it now you talked about the the traits of a entrepreneur and uh, and how you know you you said yourself you're you know the type A uh, and and when you were out as a mortgage broker you know you'd rather be you know out with a client mm -hmm. talking or you know making a making that relationship and and solidifying business rather than going back and writing up the paperwork and it kind of goes back to maybe the traits of an entrepreneur don't really fit too well with sitting back and doing your books properly and so maybe that speaks to uh, well you need to hire some help to to manage your books I don't know an entrepreneur that gets all excited about doing their paperwork I'm gonna go reconcile receipts it's gonna be a blast nobody says that nobody Ready? you know well no <laughs> okay I mean tidy fiscal year ends welcome to Sandy Martin <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't go into construction <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Do you know, I think it though, I mean, this goes back to what we talk about personal finance all the time. It's not because people are stupid. I mean, if you are starting a business, it's not because you're a dummy. It's And and so the fact that you, you know, you're passionate about, I don't know, mortgages, although that's kind of related to money, so we'll, we can maybe give mortgages a pass. But let's say, you're, you know, you want to fix cars. Let's go back to the car metaphor. You want to fix cars because you like cars and you think you can build a business fixing cars or whatever. You probably aren't also interested in learning how to use QuickBooks or, you know, pouring over the latest tax tables or whatever. So I think that's almost a given. But the problem is, if if somebody's being, let's say that somebody's being wise and trying to use only the capital that they have saved up, paying an accountant and then putting your money at one further step removed from you probably doesn't feel like it's that. Um, important of an expenditure compared to whatever the next toolbox that you need to buy. So it's not, I mean, it's not unheard of. It makes perfect sense. It's just something that people need to get over. 
Yeah, and maybe, um, you know, instead of, I, I hear of a lot of people investing in printers and business cards and, like, right off, right off the bat stuff that they're not, probably not going to need right away, but maybe they could set aside some money for that professional help in the form of a bookkeeper or, um, I, I was going to say time to learn QuickBooks, but that's probably not going to happen. Um you know, so so it's to secure the services of someone to do your taxes and to you know to keep up keep up with your books. Yeah, yeah. I always think that that list of things that you have to have to start a business. I always liken it to the things you have to have if you're a first time parent. People tell you, oh, you have to have one of those. Well, you, you what do you mean you're not buying a baby sling or whatever it is the thing that somebody else thinks you have a to have? A bumbo chair. One of those, a bumbo chair. <laughs> yes. So it's so. And, and the list, and frankly, like I went through, I actually applied um, and went through part of the Ontario Self-Employment Benefit Program, which is something that I don't think a lot of people know about. There's all the provinces have something similar. If you're on, if you have been on employment insurance, I had been on maternity leave for a while. Anyways, beside the point. But one of the things that they talk you through is you're building. You have to write a business plan. I, mean, I didn't get too far into the program. You have to write a business plan because the next thing you're going to do is carry that business plan to the enterprise business lending center or to the bank or whatever. And then they list all the things that you need to have. Like when you have to chart out your expenses in your business plan, that kind of the finance part that everybody hates to do, and you project your expenses and your income. They talk, I mean, there's things in, in that list that not every single business needs. And, and you talked about business cards. Like the first thing that people do, it's exciting, I know, but the first thing people do is go out and print a business. I printed business cards. I have handed out zero to actual real people because all of my business is online. Not everybody's just going to be that way, but, I mean, you need to take those lists of things with a whole shaker of salt. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, uh, business cards for uh, for Boomer and Echo just doesn't make a lot of sense for me, right? Like, you can find a, find us online, and if if you know of us at all, that's you found us online. So you can <laughs> it's pretty easy to get a hold of me because I'm on every social network, right, Sandy? That's right. <laughs> Some that I've never heard of. Well, I'm throwing Noel. Uh, Noel's uh, giving us gold here on the Twitter. I'm going back to him, and he says, and I agree with him 100% here, there's a reason why as a business grows, specialized roles emerge, CFO, CTO, sales, marketing, and et cetera. Uh, and that's exactly it. And I think the, the strength of any good business is uh, in its people. And unfortunately, the solopreneur kind of tries to take on everything. And um, if we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, that's exactly where I got. I had my mortgage business from 2007 uh, to 2010. 2010, I started Highland Mortgage Partners, and I grew it to the point where I just couldn't handle everything. I was trying to, and I burnt out. I sold my business simply because I knew I couldn't manage the entire business anymore. I was I was not spending enough quality time with my clients that I needed to to keep up the same level of service I expected from myself. So by selling my business to First Foundation, First Foundation allowed me to specialize and be, you know, in real estate, we've got what's called the highest and best use of a property. So like a residential property, the highest and best use would be a home for a family. Commercial, it could be the highest and best use would be a restaurant or whatever. 
I like to look at it as a personal highest and best use, and the highest and best use of my time is blogging, marketing, social media, engaging with people, explaining the process. That's what I love to do. So that's the role that I moved into. So I'm now using all of my skills focused on exactly what I want. So uh, Noel nailed it, and that's that's the the strength of a good business is the people and diversifying roles and allowing people to excel where they're at. Well, and you know, if you think about a business like a, you know, mom and pop kind of retail store, and you, you know, you think, well, I can't afford to be to hire someone to work the till or whatever for me, so I'm going to do it because that makes the most sense, right? And so you end up spending more time in your business than you do on your business, and so that you know, you, you don't have that uh, that chance to do that long-term planning and and work on the stuff that uh, you know you those big ideas you had there in the first place rather than getting caught in the, in the nitty gritty kind of day to day stuff that, uh, you know, that, you know, you could outsource. And, you know, one thing that I, you know, just on, online, there's not, you know, a ton of st stuff that I, I, like, I don't know how to do any of the like, coding and anything like that. Right. I, I know how to write and I know how to market and promote. And so, um, you know, having to outsource some, when I break my website, uh, having to outsource that, you know, you just you have to do it, right? I'm just going to mess it up even more if I if I try to fix it myself. And I found a couple of cool uh, online tools. One was called Fiverr, where there's people online everywhere who uh, you basically you you pay or they they'll advertise that they'll do a gig for you, and that gig could be I'll sing you Happy Birthday in German. Or I'll make a fillable PDF form for you, or whatever. Or I'll do your logo, graphic design, and and they're called gigs, and you you know you pay so for five dollars, or you know this will cost you four gigs, so twenty bucks, and I'll do this you know uh, thing for you. So you know people are making money doing this, but you can outsource stuff for for cheap, and it's really good work because there's like an online community rating everyone. Um, I don't know have anyone. You guys used uh, something. Like I use. I use. I've used Fiverr only as a joke to actually. Send we, somebody happy birthday. We ended up. Um, <laughs> wow, long story, but a mortgage broker ended up leaving the broker industry and setting up a gig on Fiverr where he would endorse your business. So we went around to other mortgage brokers and gave them five star reviews, and it was just awesome. This guy gave like the lengthy review, and he was totally serious about it. That's the only time I've used Fiverr, but I use Elance all the time. Yeah. And Elance is just, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Freelancer, Elance. Yeah, they're great services. I've had lots of logos designed, graphic work. I've had uh, transcripts. So, I mean, potentially if we ever get a sponsor on the Because Money podcast, anybody who wants to sponsor hint, us, hint. just let us know. Hint, hint. We could throw <laughs> up, like, uh, some ads or whatever. But, no, if we ever got a sponsor, then we could probably transcribe this. Only oh, there's a tangerine. What have you got there? IMG Direct? No. Um, but yeah. Wait, well, there goes I, that sponsor. Yeah, well. Although I like Peter Rosito. He's a he's a solid cat. Um, yeah. But he's not at ING. What are they, Tangerine? No. But anyways. Not yet. Uh, they will be, yep. We did... Uh, we got our, uh, I got transcripts done of uh, some of our Canadian mortgage hangouts that we do. And uh, that was done through uh, Elance, and that worked really well. So I'd like to see a transcript of this. That's... It's... They're actually pretty good, and they do it pretty quickly. So it's just bouncing around, getting the right voices, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, I guess the the point is that, like you said, you can't specialize in every in everything. That's why you do have specialized roles. And I know, you know, just starting up or you say bootstrapping your small business, you kind of 
you think you have to do it all and maybe you do for a period of time but you have to know when you need to let go and and where your uh, best you know where you can focus your energy on that's going to give you the highest return so you can pay off that 20% credit card so here's so this is something that came up actually and I think our in our Canadian personal finance community um, about outsourcing parts of your life it was really about people outsourcing parenting and housekeeping and all that kind of stuff and the idea was this goes back to Noel reminding us about kind of behavioral or kind of optimizer um, I guess if you know that you can use that time more profitably working on actual directly working on client stuff or you know expanding your marketing or whatever it is then all I mean the three hours that I'm gonna spend <laughs> well it's not three hours coming up with goofy graphics probably I could get somebody else to do goofy graphics for five bucks and then bill that time to an actual client <laughs> but it's so much fun <laughs> yeah well and that's the thing right like a lot of the stuff I like uh, I like doing if you're, like you said making up the goofy graphic posters you know if you like doing that stuff it's hard to get away and, and give that up right that's hard like in my day job it's hard to give up some of the stuff that I do that I could certainly you know pass on to a colleague or uh, you know, I don't need to be doing that that task, but I, I, you know, I enjoy it, so I spend my time doing there. Is it wise? Maybe not. You know, you could spend a lot more time doing planning or, you know, actually growing your business. I wonder if the hallmark of a successful entrepreneur, I mean, obviously part of it is luck and market conditions, etc., but if the startup-and-go person can morph into the startup-and-go and now I'm going to tap the next person that's going to take whatever the whatever the delegation becomes now you know I'm going to hire a professional bookkeeper or whatever if someone who has to navigate not spending too much money um, on on silly things but spending money on hiring the right people to do the right jobs I wonder if that's kind of the differentiation <laughs> that's the wrong word I wonder if that's going to be the hallmark of somebody that's eventually successful and that's interesting because maybe you can take that first three months or six months of getting your hands dirty and getting in there and actually figuring out what your business is all about um, and then make some templates for the next person to come on to actually do those things to your standards and, and to make you not feel like you need to micromanage and, and you know, be looking over their shoulder so that you can move on to uh, you know, bigger and better things. Well, and I think if I could jump in, the, the, the difference that I've found in the business, and um, I've always been really good I, at creating myself a job. I don't know that I've actually ever really created a business, and there's a huge difference there. A lot of people who are entrepreneurs, they, they work themselves into a job, and I found that in my mortgage business. Look, and I loved it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying when I was servicing my clients, and I was doing mortgages, and I was out, I was hunting, I was eating what I was killing, it was great. I'm being the entrepreneur, I'm the type A, I'm going out, I'm getting business. The second I stopped going out and getting business, is the second I no longer have a paycheck. So you really gotta ask yourself, am I growing a business or am I working a job on my own? And there's, there's, I can't go on holidays. I got nobody to look after my book. I don't want somebody else eating my lunch. I mean, there was four years that I never took a, a day off. Like I just worked and worked and worked and it's just unsustainable. And that's the problem. So when you're looking at your business and you're planning your business, you have to have a business that can make money 
without you. Now, am I saying that has to be immediately? No, you have to work, you have to learn how to do the process, but you have to be investing in a system or a way to make money and be able to remove yourself. Even if it's very slowly and gradual, you have to have the plan, you have to have a business that can scale. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught in that, you know, I'm making all this money, I'm doing all this thing myself. The, it's the hit by a bus factor. You get hit by a bus, if your business is dead, you don't have a business, you have a job. And I've worked a lot of jobs for myself. Well, and that's the oh. entrepreneurial dream that gets sold is the, um, you know, oh, you got to escape the rat race and get out of the cubicle and work for yourself. Okay, I'll do that, but wait a minute. Now I'm, you know, like you said, I haven't been on vacation in four years and, yeah. and uh, I'm actually happier doing this just because I'm, you know, working for myself. Mm. We're, wor we're working. No, I don't have anything else. <laughs> I know we're almost out of time here. We, uh, can, we, can we touch on this uh, charity thing for a minute? I, I yeah. uh, found a couple articles here and, and thought it was interesting that uh, Canadians are, are real scrooges or, uh, this, well, compared to, well, compared to a lot of countries, but uh, I think it was like 1.7% 1, 1. of our income we're donating to charity, and, and in the U.S. it's upwards of three, three and a half. Um, you know, are you guys, what do you guys see? Like, uh, for me, I get a lot of donor fatigue. Like, you know, I work at a university and we get asked to do a lot of, uh, you know, we do a lot of fundraising and so I contribute to this one and this one and this one and it all adds up and then you go to the grocery store and uh, they're asking for two bucks here and there every every time you go in and, you know, I, does all that stuff get, get even get counted at the end of the year? I'm not sure in that one and a half percent. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Hmm. I'm a, I'm a well obviously I'm a regular um, person so I like to have it as one of my bills <laughs> and then if I happen to have change which is pretty rarely then I mean anybody that's around that's fine I'll spread my currency largesse to the populace but I like to have it in as a line item in my budget because otherwise I don't think it would happen it would be like well maybe if I have extra later on and and then I would never do it so and is there the something specific that you would contribute to like is it something you know close to home or is it, you know, it depends on who asks? I have, um, we have a family, like a family member and then somebody that I grew up with that are both out um, in the field doing various uh, mission work that we support. So, and then other than that, uh, no, there used to be something else in there and I can't remember what it is, but no, right now it's just two families. What about you, Jackson? Yeah, um, my wife and I were uh, advocates for Compassion Canada for uh, for a little while. Um, we're no longer advocates, but we still believe in the Compassion Canada program. It's very much like World Vision. Uh, they they do work through local churches in uh, you know uh, developing nations. We we have five sponsor children down in uh, Peru, and we 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 use that as an opportunity for our kids to realize just how blessed we are in Canada and we write letters to them we send them gifts we we really make that part of our family and part of what we do uh charitably um i've got a policy um <laughs> I invest in people. I don't like uh I will say yes to any charity that involves people. I will say no 
very angrily to any charity that involves animals. I do not like animals, and it's, it's sorry, I don't, it's not that I don't like animals, I just don't think that we should be spending money investing in animals when we have people that aren't eating and people living in poverty. So yes, as, it's really weird to hear the right-wing guy talking about um, social issues. Social programs. Yeah, social programs and issues. But uh, no, I truly, I, I love investing in people. Um, I've done some Kiva loans in the past and uh, uh, the small business loans there. Um, I got a policy that if somebody comes to my door knocking on asking for MS, asking for cancer research, great. Yes, I've done Movember. Yeah, 20 bucks. Here you go. That's a no problem. If it's if it's in the grocery store, yes, I'll say yes. If it's for the Humane Society, no, I won't. And I'll let the person know I, I think there's enough charities out there for people that that's where I'll be directing my money. Thank you. So I'm kind of ignorant, but that's I, I do believe in charitable giving, and we do give uh, quite a bit because we are blessed in Canada. Like, I mean, I've spent some time doing some mission work down in Argentina. I've been over in Europe, and... What we have here is just head and shoulders above where a lot of other developing nations are at. So that's real. A, it, it's a passion of mine. I have a thought on why Americans give more to charity uh, or double what, what Canadians give. And, and I think Americans are such great marketers. And I think that uh, I saw a great, uh, a good uh, TED talk on this. And it, and it basically was talk, uh, you know how the Money Sense magazine rates all the charities and, and, and looks at, you know, how much is going to administration and, and marketing and salaries and that sort of thing. And, and they're saying, well, you should give to the charities that have low, lower overhead and more goes into research. Well, you know, this guy was basically saying, arguing the opposite. Hire the best to run our charities who, who, you know, can raise the most look at it as a, you know, the actual dollar amount. Now maybe 50% is going to admin and marketing, but they increase their, um, you know, what they're giving, uh, you know, by 100% or more. And so that's what this guy was arguing. And they, you know, they'd take out ads in the New York Times to advertise for this race, and they'd, uh, you know, raise like 100 million dollars or something like that. And so he would, he was basically arguing that, um, you know, or, or he was arguing that, you know, you could spend more money on on that type of thing, and instead of paying your CEO, you know, forty thousand dollars, you pay him a hundred thousand, but attract the best and brightest to uh, to run it. Jackson's getting that's, squirmy over there, so no, that's it's that's it's. Here. I ah, uh, I can't handle the people will make a buck off of anything, and I really have a hard time with the um, the reason I like Compassion Canada is because they really hold up the you know. They, they actually dress the kids up for the pictures. They don't want to... They don't make the poverty the issue. They make the kids the issue. And I really... Like the World Vision, the, the kind of... I mean, and it's not... I, I, World Vision does great work. But the whole, you know, you got the kid with the big stomach and the flies everywhere, and they just want to make it look like squalor. And yes, although that exists give the kids some dignity. And for me, the whole exploitation in that charity industry and the, you know, making money off a of charity, it, yeah, you get more, but I don't know. Do you want people given to your charity because it was a big page ad in the New York Times? 
yeah, okay, if you're getting more, sure. It's it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But jumping onto Twitter, um, the Holy Potato jumped into the conversation. Apparently he's been watching. Uh, I haven't looked into the charity differences, but keep in mind U.S. has a much bigger need for health charity because, of course, they don't have... You know, they got some differences in the healthcare. And then he goes, that is no socialized medicine, so lots of fundraising to help families that don't have adequate insurance. It's a point well taken. And Noel, who is a beast, by the way, says, I love Kiva and microfinance loans to hardworking entrepreneurs in developing countries. 164 loans and counting. Ooh. Well done. And then uh, the Holy Potato jumps in and says, UK also gives less than a percent. So we're uh, a little bit more distinguished than our European brothers. See, but that goes back to Rob's point. Like, I wonder how much of that is actually counted. Okay. No, that's true. And then, uh, like, uh, what uh, Holy Potato said about the, the health organizations, but it also, uh, I think, on the, on the church side, too, it probably is a lot more giving... Um, uh, down in the U.S. Than, than there is up here, and I'm not sure how that's uh, counted as well. Hmm. Well, are we out of time? I think we are. I think we're out of time. <laughs> Sandy, do you realize that you've got Darth Vader right behind you? What? And how creepy <laughs> that is. I know, it's totally creepy. You know what's creepier? I had to sneak into my sleeping baby's room to get it. <laughs> Because I forgot him. And then you hit that. That's pack. hovering over your sleeping baby. Yeah. I know, totally. Well, there we go. So we're going to take the Christmas off. When are we coming back? Has anyone looked at a calendar? January 6th. January 8th. Two weeks off? January 8th, we will be back. So yep. I guess that's it. I hope, I hope Merry, when we Merry come Christmas, back. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Sandy, you were gonna say you hope when we come back. I hope, what? I hope when we come back, we get to talk about weddings and how we judge people. I'm excited Ooh, about that. Yeah. Judge McJudgerson. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. All right. Take Goodbye. Care, Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.